looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, today I'm going to continue our study in 1 Peter chapter 3, but our topic today is reducing conflict in relationships. Another way to put that would be improving harmony in relationships, however you want it, because the Lord really likes this beautiful balance coming together of great joy unto Him. And so last week we began to talk about how that even though in the diversity of, of humanity, God has a sense of humor because he often brings people of different personalities and gifting together in a marriage and he wants them to learn to work together. Some of you that will be going off to school and will be getting a roommate, you're going to be seeing how much you thought that they worked hard to making sure that you have the same likes on stuff. And then when you get rooming together, that seems to fall apart. And any of you that have ever worked on a team or a club or a committee, you're going to find that there are people that crash into one another. And yet the Lord, with all of the diversity, still says there is a way that there can be harmony. So what he's done to the people here through Peter is he explained how that there can be greater harmony, reducing conflict with one another. And he's given six attitudes. Now these are six attitudes that are not only to be owned by us, but they're to be demonstrated toward one another. Now, last week, we've covered three of them, and just in case you were unable to be with us, let me briefly go through that so that you can be on the same page and have all six of them with us today. The first one was the attitude of sympathy, and if you look at the word here, it says, all of you should be of one mind, full of sympathy toward one another. And we know what sympathy is. That means that we are being fully understood, but at the same time, we really care enough for the other person that we really understand what are their hurts and habits and hang-ups and issues that they're going through so that we can better unite with them. But at the same time that we want to be understood, we also want to know, are our feelings okay? They may be real to me. And at the same time, your feelings, they are real to you, and I want to know what they are. So if we're sympathetic with that other person, we care enough about them to get on the same page with them so in some measure we can identify with them to come alongside them to love them and to lift them up again and when you have that you can have harmony especially if both are working and walking toward one another the second word was the word devotion and of course that's found in the verse here that says loving one another other translations talked about loving the brotherhood and i like that because it talks about teamwork it talks about loyalty it talks about working together and how important it is that we be devoted to one another. Not just devoted to a cause, but devoted to the people of the cause of the situation. And so we learn that loyalty really stops attacking one another. Loyalty says, let's work on the problem together. Loyalty says, we're in this together, so let's see how we can make it work. Sometimes when I do um, conflict management, I will draw a circle. And in that circle, I'll say, this is this person's perspective or views or values, whatever we might want to call that. And the other circle would be the organizations or the teams, organizational values. And what we try to do now is to see how much we can understand one another and bring the two circles as close together as we can, forming a third circle. And it's in that third circle that the more devotion is expressed toward one another. So devotion says we reaffirm our love to one another. And I would like to encourage you to do that every day. You husbands to your wives that you will genuinely say, I love you. Not just the, you finished a conversation on the telephone, I love you, or the quick, when you're going to sleep at night, love you, or you're going out the door with the peck on the cheek, I love you. 
I hope you're at least doing that. But if you're unable to do that only, I would encourage you to add to that that during the day that you'd have a praise wife time with I love you. And it would be said back again and you'd reaffirm each other. And especially when you're in a, maybe a discussion that might be, assume, be presumed that there's a, a major disagreement. And then finally, we learn that loving someone else says this, I accept the differences that you all. It doesn't mean that we all have to sing the same note just so that we're in the same chord. And so we'd have human, uh, uh, um, harmony in that. So we need to accept the difference one another. And we know that that's what helps us fit together better, that one plus one will now equal three to each other. So we had the word sympathy, we had the word devotion, now we wanted to go into the word, what I think is important, called compassion. And compassion means, you know, loving the other person enough that you'd put on working clothes to do something to maybe um, carry their burden for them. So it talks about a tender heart. And a tender heart showing compassion does two things. It's how they speak to the other person, and it's how they act toward the other person. So the words that we choose need to be with proper time, tone, technique but also at the same time that we're going to do the actions to maybe lighten that other person's load. So just those three this week, I hope that maybe you were able to go through that little graph I gave you, and maybe through that you're able to look at your life and say, you know, I was able to show a lot more sympathy. I slowed my life down, and I wanted to really hear, the other, really hear where that other person's coming from. At the same time, I reaffirm that I am devoted to that other person, that we are not going to separate, we're not going to divorce, we're not going to quit, we're going to stay with them because we want it to work because God brought us together. And then finally, the word compassion, that we love that person enough that we're going to speak kindly, but also at times we're going to speak truth, but we're going to dip our arrows in honey in such a way so that person could receive it as well as lighten the load that they might be carrying. Well, those are three enough that if we take those, we can go a long way in our reducing conflict with one another. But the Lord said that that's not enough. There are three others that we need to have as attitudes in our life, and we need to reach out to other people, and we all need to do that. And here's the fourth one. It's the word humility. You can easily see where I was coming from because right in the same verse it says, humility of minds or humble of minds. I'll tell you, we know that Scripture says love is not proud, but uh, when you do have pride, according to Proverbs 13.10, it says pride only leads to arguments. You know, this would be something that you might want to take your temperature on. If you're sensing that there is some conflict in a relationship in which you have today, it's highly likely, according to this verse now, that one or the other of you is wrestling with a degree of pride. Does anyone know what the center letter is in the word pride? Anyone know what that letter is? What is it? It's I. It's all about me, my, mine. And these are the kind of things that really would show the absence of humility. When I look at my life with Carol... There are times we might have some conflict, and when we do, one of the first things we have to ask ourselves, which one of us would have pride? And I've come to the conclusion that it's Carol. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Obviously, it's going to mostly be me in this situation. But, but you might want to do the same thing. Now, the other thing is, is when you see that, it'd be a good thing for you to do to perhaps at that time say, I need to humble myself. I'm choosing to put myself under the authority of the Lord and let God take this situation. And maybe through more time, maybe through his sovereign working in this thing, later on, it'll take a process. He'll resolve these issues rather than forcing my way, my issues, my program, my agenda, and my calendar and time to get it done, to let God do it, but to come across a lot more soft. Well, the question might be, what is humility? I think humility is simply being honest with our own weaknesses, our failures, and our needs. 
Now, when I talk about humility, the Bible very clearly doesn't say that we have to beat up ourselves, that we're nothing more than a doormat, and we have to see ourselves as being nothing but wretched jerks. It's not necessarily that. It's not so much thinking of ourselves in such a degraded way. I like one verse in the Bible that seems to allude to this when it talks about that our efficiency without his sufficiency is deficiency. Second Corinthians 3. And so when I'm now at a point where I'm not very efficient, it could be because I haven't gone to him for his sufficiency. And that's where my problem is. So you might look at some of those things. So I began to look at some words. What would humility say? I think humility has four words that it would say. The first would be, I need your help. When you go to someone that you're in conflict with, it might be a time for to say to, to them, you know, I, I'm struggling in our relationship. I need your help. I need you to help me to understand you. I need you to help me to know what do I need to do to put this relationship back on track again. It might be something that you need to say to yourself or to that other person, but I'm willing to do it. Now, most of you, I would think, would say, you're right, that's really what they should do. The problem is, in a relationship, I've had my mate say that to me. I need your help. And we give them what we need, and then that person says, okay, I'll do it, and then they never do it. And so now the confidence factor in that person is let down so much so that now you don't trust them any longer. And that's the breakdown in communication and the breakdown in a relationship. So if you are coming to the point to say, I will be humble. And yes, I need that person's help. I want to know what I can do to help them. So you help me to help them. And when they tell you that, then it's very simple. You say to yourself, I can't do this, but he can. And if he can, I will. So now we lean on the Lord. So the first four words, humility will say, I, I need your help. What can I do to help make this better in our relationship? The second three words would be the words, I was wrong. Now those are almost as difficult to say as I need your help, but to say the words, I was wrong. Look at the verse in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. It says this, people who cover over their sins will not prosper. They could go as far as denying them or kind of ignoring them. But whatever they're doing, they're not addressing those as sins before the Lord. And so they're covering those sins. But it says, but if they confess, that means they name it as God names it. They identify it. They own that sin. And then they forsake them. What will they receive from the Lord? Mercy. And I often find that if a person is willing to say, I blew it. I am so sorry. What can I do to make this right? That that person has any bit of weight of walk with God, the same mercy that God would display, I'm sure that person would as well. But it takes the other person to say, I was really wrong. Now, you know, arguments, they can start over the smallest, stupidest little things. I think if, if I looked at Carol and me and in our transparent life sometimes, if we had arguments, it seems like the simplest arguments occur of all places in the car. I don't know about you, but that seems to be whether I don't stop soon enough or I, I do something. And so we get in these little things. And I remember one time Carol said, turn right here. And so I turned right here. Well, she meant turn left right here. Okay, so now you've got to go around the block and it's traffic and they have all the, the, the lanes changed. And I'm going to tell you that there are times that I've blown it. And I have to say, I was wrong. Will you help me? And I'll tell you, I'm blessed with a wife who will not hide it from me. But I'm really blessed with a wife who knows how to say it just the right way so that I'll receive it most of the time. No matter how good she says it, sometimes I don't receive it. Here are the second two words, all right? The first would be four, I need your help. The next three words, I was wrong. 
The second could be, I am sorry. Unforgive me. I am sorry. Now, some of us are probably good at saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And pretty soon when your kids know that that's the right language, it's almost a sin management for them to say, I'm sorry. And they think they did the right thing. Well, I guess they are in a way because they are saying they're sorry. The real issue, though, do they really mean that they're sorry? And one of the ways that we display the authenticity of our sorrow for blowing it in that relationship is to match the degree of remorse for the pain that our infraction did to that other person. Now think about what I just said. If that person is really broken, then our sorrow for that, our remorse for hurting that person ought to at least match it if it cannot exceed the pain that we've caused with that other person. But remember the genuineness of it is not just that you know how to say it better, it's how you mean it forever. And so I hope that that would be the part. And of course, you that are hearing this, that are on the other side saying, boy, I sure hope they do come to me and say, um, how can I help? And uh, I was wrong and I'm sorry. And uh, I hope those people do come to you because I know you've probably been violated tremendously, but should, they do. I hope that you could find it in your heart that there would be that degree of forgiveness as well because that's the Christ-like response to that. So maybe in your own mind, is there someone now going into your life that you need to say, I need your help. What can we do to put this back on track again? I was wrong. I am sorry. Forgive me. Well, there on your sheet, you have a little graph again, one to 10, one being poor. Maybe you could score yourself there. Put a circle around a word or around a number rather. If you could say, I haven't really said any of those words recently. And we keep going through this broken relationship. Maybe put a number nine or a 10. If you say, it is easy for me to see, say these words because I do know that I can conflict with others, but I want to take things and make them right. So you put a circle there. Now, once you've done that, maybe you could have a little fun with this. If you were to hand your sheet to your neighbor next to you, your mate or a family friend, where would they, well, how would they rate you? What number would they give? And kind of guess what they would do and put a box around that number. And it'll show you maybe where you need to get a little bit more on that same page of intensity, of humility. So we have, first of all, sympathy, then we have devotion, we have compassion, then we have humility. Let's go now to the fifth one. It would be the word mercy. All right, this is the next attitude, and it kind of goes together. If I'm humble over here, I'll receive mercy, hopefully, over there. And you'll notice the passage is so beautiful, and here's what it says. It says, don't repay evil for evil. It's very easy for us to do that and even want to do that. It says, don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. And they could say unkind things about you when you hear it, or they could say unkind things about you when you don't hear it, but apparently they're talking about you, usually around other people. And when they do that, don't retaliate. It goes on to say, here's what you do in its place. Now, this is contrary to all what you're going to hear in the world. This is a biblical worldview rather than a secular worldview. It says, instead, pay them back with a blessing. I put it in bold there, so some way mark it. So when someone does you evil, when someone talks about you, then you pay them back with a blessing. And then it says, that's what God wants you to do. Now, it's not so much what Pastor Stan wants you to do. That's what God wants you to do. And he will bless you for it. Will you underline that phrase, he will bless you for it? That's very interesting. Because while someone is doing evil to you, while someone is talking about you negatively with others, behind your back, whatever it might be, you return a blessing to them. And God says, I will bless you when you do the opposite of what your nature, your, your old nature would want it to do. So he says, you do that, and that's demonstrating mercy. 
Now, some of you are probably on the front end of your journey with the Lord, and the word mercy is kind of a murky word for you. So let me help you maybe understand a little bit about mercy. Mercy is giving more kindness than justice demands. Now, you could write that in your notes. Mercy is giving more kindness than justice demands. So yes, there may be a time that justice has to be done, but you're going to take the high road. And by the way, the high road is a good road. It's an easy road in the sense because there's a lot less traffic on it. But with that road, though, it's the road of giving more kindness when you give them back. Now, what happens, though, in the midst of all of this when it's being thrown at you, when you're getting all this negative energy given back to you? Naturally, you want to begin to defend yourself or at least explain yourself. And some personalities are more quick on the trigger and others, they kind of uh, cocoon and they hold it within them. But whatever measure it is, you know that what's going on in your mind is it's still not what you've learned in Scripture. And so you're struggling with that. What are some things you can do? Well, I'm still reminded in the same text of 1 Peter that when the Lord was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten again. Okay, but what did he do, though? He just said what he didn't do. What he did do is this. He then committed himself to his Father who judges righteously. So at that moment, when you are underneath this avalanche of evil back at you, instead of you fighting back with your evil, at that time, you're going to have to silently, in some measure, say, Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, take over. Oh, Lord, give me the strength. Oh, Lord, right now, I need your spirit to have complete control over me. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And so perhaps that time, when that person is doing that in your mind, you're giving that forgiving spirit toward them because the Lord has really done that. How many of you can finish this phrase? I don't get even, I get what? I know, I don't get mad, I get even. I kind of gave it away, didn't I? But you know what I'm saying? We sometimes do. You know, I will control myself, I won't get mad, but there's something else that I'm going to do to somehow marginalize this other person. Now, let me pause for a moment. Now, this is not a full-blown psychology message today. I can't bring everything into this. There is a time that if you're around people that are violently abusing you verbally, violently doing things that are actually causing you to crash and burn, at that time, you don't return evil, but you do separate a little bit. You do kind of put yourself in a position where you don't have to continually hear that kind of berate that goes on over and over and over again. We do live in a free country, and there are things that we can do for that moment to have a time out. But the time out does not necessarily mean forever I'm done with that relationship. I'm going to step back for right now because no good will come from it at this moment of discussion. But maybe a little bit later on through more prayer and through waiting on the Spirit, things can be done. But I do need to forgive them for that. Sometimes those that don't um, get mad that they do get even, you will find that they often will keep a long record of account with them about that other person. And it begins to add up and add up and add up and add up. And I think you'll understand my phrase, and I hope you understand it as much grace as I can give it. Sometimes that person has hurt you to the point that now you've not learned to forgive them. So no matter what that person does, it will be wrong, nearly, no matter what they do. It's like they're derned if they do, and they're derned if they don't. If you know what I'm trying to say, say, uh-huh. Okay, there's a lot in here for that. And so that's what happens then. So now what's happened that no matter what that person tries to do, we begin to question all of their motives, all of their intentions, and the thing begins to break down because there's no mercy shown. Notice what 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love keeps 
no record of wrong. It doesn't say keep a short record of wrongs. It says keeps no records of wrong. Now may I add this. Forgiveness is something that is a part of the DNA of every Christian. It became a part of our DNA the moment we trusted Christ because we've experienced the full forever forgiveness of God. He is a forgiving God. Judicially, He has forgiven us of all sin. He has put a mechanism in place that when we sin, we can confess that sin and He will give us not only forgiveness, but He'll cleanse us again. So that's all a part of who God is. Now, the reason I say it's our DNA now is because since that is who God is and He lives within us, then we do have all the capacity necessary to forgive any injustice done unto us. And yea, I would say if God is merciful and He lives within us, then we also have His capacity to bestow mercy on those people that are around us. So yes, it's easy to forgive when there's that one act of I'm sorry, and then we would then count upon Him for that moment-by-moment act of having a forgiving spirit with that person should it happen over and over and over again. So it's not just a one-time lesson we learn. It's something that we have to do for a long time. In fact, the rest of our lives, and in fact, sometimes more with some person more than someone else. I put a note here for me. This is for me. Stan, you will never have to forgive Carol more than I've already forgiven you. So give mercy and forgive her. Now, the good news is my wife is about as perfect as she possibly can be. So it is easy for me to do this. But at the same time, the principle is still there and all the power is found in the Holy Spirit. So you have all the power to do it no matter how bad it's against you. And always remember this. If Jesus on the cross could look at people who put him on the cross that are now betting for his clothes to see who's going to get the best garment of his, and he is up there in excruciating physical pain, which had to bring in his humanness emotional pain, and he could still say to the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Maybe we can draw from from the Lord himself and say, Lord... They are paining me. I don't care how I try to frame it and explain it to them, how long it has been, how much it's crushing my spirit. But Lord, you forgive them for they still don't know the amount of pain that I'm going through right now. They don't know what they're doing in the long run. Father, forgive them. And so you now call upon the Lord through you to do that. And you can, you must. The alternative is consequences beyond our understanding and comprehension if we don't. So, we got our little chart here, okay, poor to great. So, on the poor level, maybe you would say, I keep a scorecard on the people who hurt me. I can give back just about every time they've done something dirty to me. Or you could put a number 10 there, I am very quick to forgive, release, give them a do-over, and just kind of let bygones be got bygones and move ahead. Now, again, I can't open up everything because there is a time that you have to have accountability and you need to work forward and hopefully that that will happen. But initially, the foundation is still that we forgive them. So we went from sympathy, then we moved to I'm devoted to them, I'm loyal to them. Then we look at I'm compassionate, I care about them, I'm going to carry their load. To the area that I'll be humble, it's not about me, it's about the Lord. To the area I'm going to bestow mercy on them. And now the sixth one is the word maturity. Maturity. Now I'm going to have to take two sections of scripture and kind of put them together for us to maybe understand a little bit about maturity here and why I selected that word. If you will, look at the verse, verses 10 and 11, actually, and this is found in 1 Peter. It says, For the scriptures say, if you want a happy life in good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil 
and keep your lips from telling lies. That means guard your tongue. Don't speak anything that would be wrong. And then at the same time, do not tell lies. Then it says, turn away from evil and do good. And I put in bold letters here. Work hard at living in peace with others. Now you put all of that together and you put it up against the backdrop of the book of James. And James is all about spiritual maturity. And it talks a great deal about the use of your mouth. So in your margin, you might want to put this phrase down and then we'll kind of open it up for maturity. We need to master our mouth, tame our tongue, rule our reactions, and watch our words. All right, we need to muzzle our mouth, we might want to say. We want to tame our tongue. We want to watch our words and we want to rule our reactions. Now, when we begin to do that, James says we're mature. First Peter now tells us that it's not only about words, it's also about doing evil. It's also about working hard to have peace. You put all of that together and you have maturity. Now, here's what I see. <clears throat> I see that the more spiritually mature that you become, it seems, the more you grow in your maturity, the more you grow up in your maturity in the Lord, the more that conflicts begin to drop. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.